Daniel chapter 11 is a unique chapter in all the Bible. In fact, it has over a hundred different prophecies about what was coming future to Daniel's time and will lead us into an incredible prophecy about the coming Antichrist. More about that today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. To God, Israel always will be the center. Israel is the apple of his eye. And even though right now Israel is largely secular and atheistic or agnostic, their eyes are going to be opened again and God is going to work again in the land. Look at verse 6. After some years they will form an alliance. The daughter of the king of the south will come to the king of the north to carry out a peaceful arrangement or make an agreement. But she will not retain her position of power, nor, and I'm going to give you one example of how these prophecies work, nor will he remain with his power, but she will be given up along with those brought her, who brought her in and the one who sired her as well as he who supported her in those times. And everybody said, say what? <laughs> Sometimes when these areas were warring, they would try to make an alliance by the king giving her, his daughter to the other king. Kind of a, uh, an offer of peace. Let's sit down at the table. Maybe we can get along kind of thing. But here's what you have to see from the standpoint of Israel. When the north and south were warring with each other, who was always in the middle? Israel. And when someone lost, let's say that the Syrian king came down to battle Egypt, and let's say that uh, he lost, and uh, let's say that he was walking away and he got beat up, he would have to pass through a place called Jerusalem. And since Israel was not really a warring nation, and oftentimes they were relatively weak in the sense of their armies and so forth, the king would come through there and he would take his aggression out on Israel. And Israel always found herself between a rock and a hard place. And sometimes she would try to figure out who to ally herself with. So sometimes she would make an alliance with Egypt. Sometimes she would make an alliance with Syria or Assyria to try to find a way to survive. She became the proverbial punching bag in the Middle East. But not because she was really doing anything wrong, more because of her geographic location being unfortunate. Now, you can say, well, it was God's plan all along, and it was for Israel to be here, but this is what was happening in world history. And so Israel didn't know, it seemed like they were getting it coming and going. Someone was always mad at them. Someone was always taking their aggression out on the little land of Israel. And so uh, in, in these verses, basically what happens is to ease the tension, an alliance was made, years of hostility between these kingdoms. So Bernice, the daughter of Egypt's Ptolemy, the second Philadelphus, uh, married Syria's king Antiochus II, Phaos. The latter part of the verse refers to the political advantage or a political marriage they hoped it would produce. Antiochus divorced his wife to marry Bernice. After Antiochus put his first wife, Laodice, away, he sent, uh, sent her sons to Ephesus in Asia Minor. But Bernice did not retain her position of power, as the verse says, as queen. Antiochus II grew tired of her. 
After a son was born, he went to Ephesus to live with Laodice, but there was hatred and friction. Later, that divorced wife murdered, murdered Bernice, her baby son, and even Antiochus by poisoning him or them. Thus, she brought her own son, Seleucus II, Callinicus to the throne. This is kind of how it, it goes. The details of the verses are borne out by secular history. And here's how the prophecy works. Now, I'm not going to get into all the, the details, but verses 5 through 20, write this down, cover almost 200 years of wars between these bordering powers, between the king of the north and the king of the south. Verses 5 through 20 covering about 200 years of wars between these empires. How could Daniel have this information? Only if it was from a supernatural source. And so, um, do you go, at, go ahead and scroll down with me. Um, let's go to verse 15. Then the king of the north will come, cast up a siege mound, and capture a well-fortified city. The forces of the south will not stand their ground, not even the choicest troops, for there will be no strength to make a stand. But he who comes against him will do as he pleases. No one will be able to withstand him. He, and he will also stay for a time in the, what's your Bible say? The beautiful land or the glorious land with destruction in his hand. Here's an example of how in between these warring factions, Israel was called the glorious land or the holy land or the beautiful land, but oftentimes would be in the middle of these wars. And on and on went the battle. And so here's something that happens with this latter Antiochus. Go to verse 19. He will turn his face toward the fortresses of his own land, but he will stumble and fall and be found no more. Then in his place one will arise who will send an oppressor through the jewel of his kingdom. Yet within a few days, or years, NIV has, he will be shattered, though neither in anger nor in battle. Uh, basically what happened is the, as the time went on and the, and the forces fought back and forth, up and down, Rome began to rise as a world power. And Rome began, began to get stronger and become involved. Now part two of the prophecy is about a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. We're going to try to move quickly. He is the eighth Seleucid king. Now, everybody take a deep breath for a second. Now, you know why I told the joke about the snail at the door? Some of you, some of you are feeling it. But anyway, here we go. Now, part two of the prophecy about Antiochus Epiphany, he, Epiphanes, he's a type of a coming Antichrist, which we'll deal with next time. But here's what happens. In his place, in the place of one of these kings, a despicable person will arise. This is Antiochus. On whom the honor of kingship has not been conferred. He stole it by intrigue. But he will come in a time of tranquility and seize the kingdom by intrigue. Now this prophecy covers a 12-year period of time from 175 B.C. to 163 B.C. Daniel wrote, in the mid-500s. He's talking about a person that would live some 400 years after his time. And he's giving details about the man. 
He's telling Israel, here's what's going to happen. See, Daniel may have thought, 70 years of captivity, we're going back to the promised land. Everything's going to be great, right? Wrong. In fact, the people of Israel are going to run into persecution, oppression, war, almost being stamped out throughout all history until the return of the Prince of Peace, Jesus himself, the ultimate king. See, what Daniel's being told in the prophecy as he prayed over his people, as he had on his heart what's going to happen to my people, is that throughout the centuries of time, Israel is going to continue to be the world's punching bag. Now, if you were Daniel, you'd have to be overwhelmed with that. If you had prayed about something regarding your own nation or your own family, and let's say it was revealed that there's going to be difficulty and, and struggle until the return of Jesus Christ, that would be a bit disheartening. It's the truth, but this is what Daniel's getting. And so Antiochus Epiphanes arises. By the way, he, his name means God manifest. When he would introduce himself, he would say, Hello, I'm God manifest. Apparently he didn't have a problem with his own, you know, uh, uh, opinion of himself. But he, the Jews renamed him Epimenes, which means Antiochus the madman. He thought he was a god. The Jews thought he was a nut. And by the way, anybody who introduces himself as God manifest, I would quickly categorize as a nut job. Right? I think I would say, he's a madman. Because that's pretty much, when we've had people over history, even in our own generation, like David Koresh and others, or Jonestown, claim that they were God, we know one thing's happened. They are cuckoo. And this is who this man was. Antiochus IV, the madman. He thought he was God manifest. He seized power through intrigue. He stole the throne. And the overflowing forces will be flooded away, 22, before him and shattered, and also the prince of the covenant. Egypt's armies were swept away by Antiochus. Antiochus' invading forces as by a flood. And so he made alliances. He, he tried to tell people he was friendly. I'm, I'm a good guy. In a time of tranquility, 24, he will enter the richest parts of the realm. He will accomplish what his fathers never did. He will distribute plunder, booty, and possessions among them. He will devise schemes against strongholds, but only for a time. He will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south with a large army, so the king of the south will mobilize an extremely large and mighty army for war, but he will not stand, for schemes will be divided against him. Uh, look at verse 27. As for both kings, their hearts will be intent on evil. They will speak lies to each other at the same table. They will say, hey, let's come to the table, but it will be all about lies, just like every treaty that's ever been signed in the history of man. Treaties are not even worth the piece of paper they're written on. One thing we have in common about treaties is that they're always broken. <laughs> and so they came to the table. Yeah, but there was nothing good that was going to come out of that. And so basically what he did was he would loot whatever he could. He would seize every opportunity he could. He would plunder whatever temple he could. And then he would go through the streets 
and he would throw the gold to his people and he would say, I am your savior, I am your God. And the people, uh, history says that Antiochus used to love when he would throw the money in the ground and people would be You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment, but first. Is it proper for Christians to celebrate Christmas? The Christmas season can appear to be a conflict of messages, images, and sentiments. The Origins of Christmas DVD will address frequently asked questions such as, do we know Jesus' actual birth date? Did the early church celebrate the birthday of Jesus? Did Christians really steal Christmas from a pagan holiday? The Origins of Christmas DVD wraps up with a practical answer to one final question. Is it proper for Christians today to celebrate Christmas? And if so, how? Get your copy of the Origins of Christmas DVD today when you visit walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. Antiochus used to love when he would throw the money on the ground and people would be trying to pick it up as quickly as they could, just like in the Batman movie with the Joker. How many of you remember that? The Joker, oh, this, this is dating me. You remember the original Batman movie? The, the Joker, who was played by Jack Nicholson. Man, he was, anyway. What am I doing? Hey, uh, I'm your savior. Where's Batman? At home, washing his tights. <laughs> and he threw the money out with the music playing, and there's the people. Oh, oh, oh yeah, the Joker's our savior. Do you know there's historical precedent that that's what Antiochus did? He would loot temples and he would throw the money on the ground and he would laugh as the people scattered and tried to get the money and he tried to be the savior of the people. And he went down to Egypt and he, he tried to finish the job that his uh, predecessors couldn't. And Rome opposed him. Look at this, 30. For ships of Kittim or Cyprus, this is the Roman fleet prophesied in the book of Daniel, will come against him Therefore, he will be disheartened and will return and become enraged at what? At the Holy Covenant and take action. So he will come back and show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Here's what happened. He went down to finish the job in Egypt once for all. And the Roman forces said, you're not going to do that. People are sick of you. They're sick of what you do. And if you try to do anything more, you're going to face us. And the Roman general drew a circle around Antiochus in the ground and said, you can't go think about this. I'm not going to give you 24 hours. Before you leave the circle, you give the answer or you're going to be at war with us. Well, Antiochus was mad. He had to make a decision right now. Do I fight Rome? Well, he decided not to. And he left Egypt and he was going to head back to Syria. And in between him... And Syria was the land of Israel, namely Jerusalem. And he went through and he took out his fury on the people of Israel. And so people who had forsaken the Holy Covenant, uh, you could say Jews who had forsaken their commitment to God, he joined forces with them and he desecrated the sanctuary, verse 31. He set up the abomination of desolation. He did away with the regular sacrifice in the temple. We have a bunch of detail from 1st and 2nd Maccabees where he was killing women and children, burning Torah scrolls, sacrificed a pig on the altar, spread, spread swine's blood uh, all over the place, desecrated the sanctuary, tried to force the high priest to eat pork. 
did all these terrible things, and during this time, thousands and thousands of Jewish people were killed. This wicked man is a shadow of a coming Antichrist. By smooth words, he will turn 32 godlessness, uh, turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God, what will they do? They will display strength and take action. And during this time, the Hasidians or the Hasmonean household led by a man named Judas Maccabeus through guerrilla warfare, I've told you about this in the past, rose up and they took on uh, Antiochus and finally through guerrilla warfare they got him out of there. And they cleansed the temple and the oil lasted longer than it should have and that is the holiday that we know as Hanukkah in December. And so those who have insight among the people, remember this is predicted about 400 years before it happened, will give understanding to the many. Yet they, those who fought, will fall by sword, by flame, by captivity, and by plunder for many days. It went on for a long time. Now when they fall, they will be granted a little help. Many will join with them in hypocrisy or intrigue, some joined the revolution, but even they were phonies. And some of those who have insight will fall. Final verse. In order, and, and, and I want to park here because some of you are asking the logical question. Why? Why does God allow this to happen to his people? To the apple of his eye. Why? Have you been asking the question, why, lately? Uh, I think you can admit it. We all do. It's easy not to until it's you. <laughs> and then it's something like this. Why? Can you say the next word? Why? Me. You see, it's personal when it's me. I usually, I don't have a whole lot of whys when it's somebody else. Sometimes, right? But usually the why question is when it's followed by me. <laughs> and I think the Jews of this time had to be asking that. And it was in order to what? Refine, purge, make them pure until the end of time. Because it is still to come at the appointed time. Maybe from Daniel, there was an implied, why? Why do we have to suffer? Here's the answer. Because it's usually the only way God gets our attention. I say that with fear and trepidation. Because I never vote for personal suffering. I don't pray for it. If somebody else is saying, Lord, I'm getting too comfortable in a prayer circle and they start praying for trials, I release their hand. I say, I will not say the amen to that. It's almost like if someone prays for the Red Sox in a, if I'm in a circle, I say, no, I will not. <laughs> Even though I know things are going their way, apparently. You see, Israel is going to come through the fire. And they are going to call upon the name of the Lord. And they're going to be refined as silver is refined, tested as gold is tested. 
And they will call on my name, says God, and I will answer them. And they will say, I will say they are my people, and they will say the Lord is my God. Zechariah 13, 9. Why do we go through trials? Because we would know that the proof of our faith is more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by the fire, and that it might be result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I'm going to take you to Revelation, and I promise I'm done. Revelation 3, all the way to the end of the Bible. And if you guys have a, if you want to come up for a closing song, Revelation 3, look at verse 18. Here's what Jesus says to his church. Revelation 3. To lukewarm Laodicea, verse 18. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by the fire, that you may become rich, white garments that you may clothe yourself, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed in the eye salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, the Jewish people have been through so much. It's, you begin to look at statistics of uh, thousands of people perishing at different times in different uh, battles and different times when there was a, attempts to really exterminate them. We go all the way back to Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and Medo-Persia and Greece and Rome, all the way through the Ottoman Empire. And we can think of even Christians during the uh, Crusades having wrath against Jewish people. We can think of, of course, the time of Nazi Germany and even today. Your people have gone through the fire. And here we have an insight and an answer and even though I don't completely understand it, it's to purge and purify and refine a people for your own possession. Thank you that Jesus did that for us, Lord. Thank you that Jesus went through the fire. Thank you that he paid that price for me, that I could fellowship with you, I could be right with you. And even sometimes when we go through our trials, our fiery trials, Lord, we can know that you're using them to purify and refine and purge out the dross out of, out of our lives. When everything's going good, it's easy to go into cruise control. It's easy to just rest on our laurels or think we don't need you. But times of hardship, like no other, drive us to our God. I pray that that's not what we need, Lord. I pray that that's not what it takes. But you said if you withhold the rain, if you send pestilence, if you do discipline your people and your people who are called by your name, humble themselves and pray, if they seek your face and turn from their wicked ways, you will hear from heaven. You will forgive. You will heal. Lord, there is need for healing in this room tonight. There's need for healing for those who are going to listen to this at a later time. We need healing in our lives for our areas of brokenness, for our areas of 
pride, for the times that we are so self-reliant. So Lord, would you wonderfully do your work of shaping and molding, of chiseling, of even placing us in that refiner's fire. We might come out as pure gold. The Lord knows what you're facing tonight, and so I just want to ask you to take a few moments to seek his face. At the end of this service, just spend a little time asking for his grace and his mercy, which he is so, he will so richly pour into your life as you need it. So just ask him to move in a special way into those areas of brokenness, into those gaps, those areas of weakness and even pride for his glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listening family. I'm very grateful that you're listening to Walk in Truth. It's been a great year. I want to let you know that your financial support is greatly appreciated. You are partnering with us in the greatest work of all. When you give to Walk in Truth, you're essentially helping us pay for everything that goes into getting this program on the radio. None of us gets a paycheck from doing what we do, but we are grateful that we can get the Word of God on the air. We would love to enter this new year with the ability to grow this ministry so we can reach more towns and more people like you with a powerful teaching of the Word of God. Please visit walkintruth.com today and click on the donate button on the top right-hand corner. You can either give a one-time tax-deductible donation Or I would love it if you believe in our mission, if you believe in what we do, if you would become a monthly partner, visit walkintruth.com. Thank you so much. God bless you. And a very blessed and Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.